it's it's exactly as you would imagine Saudi Arabia. It's just rolling sand dunes. Right. There's there's nothing green in sight. It's just dunes, and we're driving down this highway, and they have loaders cleaning up on the highway because of the sand periodically just buries the highway. So they have to continuously remove the sand. And then they had this big fence along the highway. And our host, who spoke good enough English, basically explained that was a camel fence because the camels would get on the highway at night and, and a truck hits a camel. <laughs> no like, bueno. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hitting a deer is bad enough. Sure. Hit a camel? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine. What are they like? 1,300 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're going to total your truck. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and so we get out to this, it's this entirely new industrial city they're building from scratch on sand. And there's nothing but sand out there. And so they were, they were just, it was 349s and 745 haul trucks, which were the first time I'd seen articulated trucks out there. Yeah. Because uh, they use on-road trucks. They're far cheaper, but they couldn't road, ride, run on-road trucks on sand. Right. So they had to have six by sixes and it was just straight sand. And I, I, I so badly wanted to load a truck because loading sand is... Uh, it's like you're a kid. It, right. It, it, it's, it's, totally. It's idiot proof. Yeah. It's, it's easy digging. It's just fun. Right. And uh, I went up to talk to the operator, doesn't speak a lick of English. And he pulls up his, his Instagram to show me something. And my post is first on his Instagram. And I'm halfway around the world. Halfway around the world. And that it's like, is so cool. That's wild. Yeah. That is so crazy. And I, I have him yeah. scroll back. I'm like, wait, wait, that's me. And he's like, and he kind of, <laughs> <laughs> It's like, no way. And then uh, he let me run the excavator (laughs) and I gave him my phone to to film it. I have to show you something because I got this yesterday and I immediately had to send it around because I just, I absolutely loved it. So what it is, is it's a, it's a video of a guy has this track hoe and he's, he's loading this truck. And there's a little kid that pulls his little tiny. I saw that video. Did you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it has the song, um, he's got a fast car, you know, that's, yeah. and it's done by a country guy. I, I sure. think, the, I think the version is way better than the original, by yeah. the way. Yeah. And he just delicately dumps a little bit of sand in there and that kid's just all. That's so cool. I, I, you know what? I put it out everywhere and I, I said, I put it on my Instagram and I said, I said, this is, this is exactly why the stigma of what we do is so misguided and so undeserved and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I said, in fact, I'm going to pay $500 in cash to the first person who can get me his name and phone number because I'm going to find that guy and I'm going to sure. call him out sure. for what he did because well, it was just, it, it was poetic. You saw it. Yeah, I saw, I saw it, but um, I, the company, it was their company that posted it on, on LinkedIn. I saw them yeah. saying, oh my gosh, we went, apparently we went viral on yeah. Reddit because yeah. I think it blew up on Reddit first. Yeah. And the, you know, Construction companies, they're, they're oftentimes not the most up-to-date on oh, sure. internet happenings. So yeah. I think they found it a week later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. So he, um, <laughs> I, because I, I, I'm trying to, I, I wanted to create something that went a little viral because I want people to understand that this is such a cool industry. You know, there are, I mean, it is. And, and for people, I suppose we could wait for the podcast for that. But No, um, this is the podcast. This it, is. It, it, it just is amazing to me that, um, People can just snuff it without yeah. even considering it. Yeah. Because someone said that's your only path to success. Sure. Going to a four year school and But that negative stigma that our industry has is is our fault. Yeah. And and or or if if nothing else, okay, it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. Sure. Because who else is gonna come along and, and 
oh, you know what, construction workers, you know what, anybody that works in infrastructure, we're going to create a government program to, to, to um, rebrand your industry for you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No, it's so until we figure it out for ourselves, it's not getting any better. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it, it used to be that even in my business, I could put it and the paper and the next day there'd be 15 people sitting in the foyer all wanting that job. And, and now, now there's maybe three. Yeah. And they're looking at you like, well, Ken, what's in it for me to work here? Like, like, why should I? Yeah. And um, the wise person, I mean, it's easy to be put off by that. Like, who are you to tell me? I'm, I am boss, you employee, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the wise person, if they can answer that question, they've got something there. They've got a long-term loyal employee that they can create yeah. with that. Companies have got away for a long time being somewhat entitled. And it's not in a negative way, but it's because if I had the ability to give you a paycheck consistently for a decade, two decades, three decades, that's it. That's the transaction. Yeah. And then I desi- I deserve your undying loyalty in yeah. return and your trust and your hard work and everything. That's all I have to do is just give you a consistent paycheck. But now there are, and when you were growing up, you know, you had X amount of careers to consider. When I was, when I went, you know, uh, the past decade or so, there's way more careers than ever before. Absolutely. And not only, uh, not only are there all these other options, but I'm seeing all the other options every time I go on my damn phone. They're, they're, they're just everywhere. And I can't make up my mind. And, and I, so I think the, the employment landscape is more competitive than ever before. But I think it's a good thing. Me as an employer now, all of my people are free agents, essentially. They can leave anytime, mm-hmm. anytime they want. And that, to me, it's not, at first, it's a little scary, but that, to me, uh, hammers home the importance of really caring for people and making sure I'm upholding my end of the bargain and making sure I'm giving them purpose and making sure I'm giving them everything possible. Because if I fail there, it doesn't matter how much money I can give them, they're eventually going to leave. Well, and, and the whole thing is, you know, it, it's funny because it, you, you talk about between my office and the freeway, there's 40, you know, for higher signs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that doesn't include what you see on your phone and what you hear from your friends and what have you. So when you, when you think about the competition, I think most employers, like you said, they've had it good for so long. They're just not ready to learn how to compete for people. Yeah. And God forbid they improve their culture. Okay. God forbid, you know, um, all the things that make a working environment cool. And you've got a lot of that here. I mean, I walked from your front door to this desk and there's a lot of cool going on here. Sure. Okay. But you worked for that. That didn't just happen. So companies don't just become cool. They have to really work at it. And there's lots of things. There's probably 10 things you can do to create that type of environment. And um, people are waking up late to the party. When you're in the ditch digging business like I am, you know, you had to create cool 20 years ago because you weren't getting anybody. Yeah. I mean, you had to do all these things to try to get someone to not only show up, but to want to be there. And, and then, you know, they, they look at you and say, wait a minute, you're actually asking me about my future as though you care about what happens to me in six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years. So what I'm getting at, Ken, is I'm concluding that I can get what I want for myself with and through your organization. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's different. Yeah. So I can work for myself first and for you second. That's kind of cool. I can deal with this. And that's just how you create long-term loyalty. 
Which I think that's how it should be. Like a lot of people in the previous generation, they're acting like this generation, next generation's entitled, which, yeah, I think there is some entitlement. But at the same time, I don't think a lot of what they're asking for is all that bad. Like they're looking at the previous generation, you know, for example, both my parents are divorced twice. I don't want that. Yeah. Why did my parents get divorced twice? Why did my dad get divorced? Well, he worked a lot. He was away from home a lot. Okay. So I've grown up like that. Looking at that, and there's a lot of good things to that. You know, we had the the life we did, and I've had the opportunity to create this because of that foundation that that my parents built through the hard work. But at the same time, I've looked at it like, well, I want to do it in maybe a little bit more of a balanced manner. I don't think that's all that crazy. Yeah, you know, in in the book um, that I wrote, it 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 actually goes right to that. It talks about balance. It talks about buckets and how you need to fill every one of these buckets equally. And I think it's, I think it's somewhat off-putting because um, to, to think in a different way, you know, so many bosses were like, well, I work 70 hours a week and, you know, I answer all the, pro- uh, all the questions and I solve all the problems. And, you know, th- that's how I value myself as a, as a boss or a manager is how many things I can solve, fix, repair, yeah. or, or that. When in fact, I teach, and if you're going to coach a group of people that you want to become entrepreneurial-like, okay, entrepreneurial employees who who think they're running their own show with and through your own organization, you almost have to approach it from, you need to make yourself irrelevant to the business, to the to the day-to-day grind of that business, and 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 put yourself up above, looking down for the future. Where's this Where's this company going, and where can I plug myself into at my choosing? Because the only way you can pull that off is if you have a bunch of people thinking for themselves. Sure. And those people have to believe that they can create the life that they want, the life that they see. And maybe you might even need to help them see that life for themselves, give them the opportunity to draw it out. But I think that's the way that you create the culture that people are looking for. And to your point, it's, it's not rocket science. This is pretty simple. The whole, the whole me, boss, you, employee relationship has changed. And, and I've said this many times. If you if you put me out in a parking lot with all 200 of my employees and we stood shoulder to shoulder and you had people standing in front of us looking at that group of people, I would not want them to pick me out as the boss of those people. Yeah. I just wouldn't want that. Sure. Well, and that's that's the one of the cool things about construction I've experienced is is a lot of other businesses, industries, you could pick the boss out pretty easy. Yeah. It's, it's you could. pretty damn easy. You could. But in construction, there are some companies I'm like, I... If I had a hundred guesses, that would have been my 98th guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I just would, I, there's a few people that come to mind immediately. That's like, right. they just look like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but it, it, a lot of people's self-worth in this industry is tied up in how much they work. And then it, it's, it gets even worse because they work a lot because of the nature of the industry. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they have problems at home or whatever happens. And instead of going and dealing with the problems. Well, what if I just work more? Yeah. Because that takes my mind off it. Yeah. And then it, 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 it gets even worse. The money solves everything thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then your, 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 your cost of living adjusts to how much money you're making because you're making all, you're, you're right. earning all this overtime and working all this yeah. hours. And then now you're stuck. There's like, the downward spiral. <laughs> what do you do? Yes. Yeah. Your, your back's up against the wall. And, and I see so many people in that position and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to watch. And, and I know a lot of people struggle with it. Well, you know, I think one of the things we could 
all learn from is the simple vacation. So when I think of a vacation, I think of obviously that's that's that seven day period that you go away somewhere. But there's like three months before that where you're actually planning and you're you're visualizing and you're seeing it and you know, you're feeling, let's say you're going to the beach. You're like, okay, I'm going to have my feet in the sand. I'm going to have the warm breeze in my face. I'm going to see the palm trees. I'm going to smell the suntan lotion. You get all those visual and uh, those sensory cues of, I'm anticipating this vacation. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like a happy place because, you know, you're you're working, you're grinding something out. Then you're like, well, I'm going to the beach in, in three months. That's going to be so cool. Why can't we then transfer that anticipatory feeling to all the other things that we go after in our life, whether it's a retirement thing or whether it's our next house or an improved car or, you know, getting our kids, uh, you know, to play golf or whatever it might be. You know, there's all those things. There's give back moments. There's there's um, spiritual moments. There's uh, your sport, your hobby, your vacation, your house, your pets, your peace time, you know, the time that you find peace. Why can't we anticipate all those things like, you do, like we do a vacation? Because I think if we did, you automatically see the balance coming in because now you're going to say to yourself, when I get in on Monday, the first thing I might plan is what my fun is going to be this week. Mm-hmm. I might also plan what what's my peace going to be this week. Okay, I'm going to take the dog for a walk on Wednesday in the park. What's my what's my um, my health going to be? What what's my workout going to be for myself? Putting me first because if I'm no good, the rest of it's no good. Right? Sure. So and then you find that you can fill in work around all those things now. There's a lot of people out there that are going to go, oh, that's impossible. That can never happen. It's very possible and it happens every day. I think the vacation thing's interesting because a lot of people, the vacation's like a, just a reprieve, an escape from it all. And I, I love vacation just like everybody else. Uh, it's more so I use it just as like a time to think and, and collect myself, and, but not as like a, a, a reprieve from it. It's not. I don't get to it and I'm like, oh, thank God. I, 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 uh, it actually, it's, it takes me a little bit to even just wind down sure. and, and take it all in. Uh, and then I get back and I'm excited to get back. But I think oh, a lot of people aren't like that. They're just like, oh, and even, even, uh, you know, uh, smaller than that, people, I see people, especially in their 20s right now, they just, they live for Friday night, they live for Saturday night. And then Sunday comes around. There's a term for it. Sunday scaries. Yeah, right. Oh, shit. I'm going back to work tomorrow. Yeah. And then they endure the the four or five days of misery they have during the week to then get to the next weekend. So many people live like that. Yeah. It's it's crazy to me. I, I think there's a I think there's a battery life to that though. I mean, I'm I'm in my fifties now and I, I live that way as well. But I, I always kind of looked for, okay, what's that next thing? You know, I, I always looked for, um, you know, what exactly could my life look like and how am I going to get there? Because for me, it, especially in this industry, there, there's such an enormous amount of control. I mean, if you think about it, you get to control your input, you get to control, therefore, your output and the quality of that output. You get to control normally your day, your schedule, your time, you know, how intense you, you're going to do, how much you're going to get done. And you also get to control your financial gain. And I, I just don't think you see that on the 15th floor in some cubicle <laughs> where you're selling mm-hmm. medical supplies. So that's one of the things that as a younger person, you know, 
they're able to control so much now with information flow and you know these cell phones that we carry around with us they can tell us everything yeah. that i think they can get to that point quicker than we did so i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that you can see it with the, with the onset of all these new and customized businesses that never were around before like you said there's all these opportunities that were never around before so um i am hopeful that people get that message I'm, I'm seeing, even in my own kids and their friends, I'm seeing that they value time a lot more than we did mm-hmm. back in the day. And, um, and what they do with that time, they're not going to waste it. So um, I just, again, it, to me, all of that paints a great picture for doing what we do for a living, you know, getting into the, the trades or getting into what we do. And I, I hope more people, you know, kind of figure that out. So what specifically, what do you do for a living? So. I have a, a company called Rusk Industries, and it, it has three or four different construction concerns within it. So we build houses in Branson, Missouri, and a place called Table Rock Lake. Nice. Branson, Missouri. <laughs> Branson, Missouri. Uh, oh, Silver yeah. Dollar City. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Can't, you can't miss Silver uh, Dollar City. No. You know, there's a, there's a huge, you know, hotel here, and you're right next door, Dolly Parton, and right next door, you can get a gator belt. Yeah. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's a right? ridiculous place. The zoning is like, what? What were we thinking <laughs> yeah. here when we built this place? Uh-huh. So- we do that. We also have a, a company in, in Ohio that um, we can take, uh, let's say, an old house. We jack it up, rip the basement out, put a new basement, and set the house back down. Really? So we fix old basements, old smelly, rotten basements. Interesting. And uh, then we're into um, office buildings and, and that kind of thing, building and leasing them out. And then uh, cons- we just got in and out of a construction chemical company that was pretty good for us. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it. So you've got your paws in quite a few different things. Yeah, well, you know, that's the beautiful part of it. And like I said before, I think I think ditch digging was number ninety nine on a list of a hundred things I was going to do. I wanted to be a race car driver. Sure, but um, what I've learned is you can work very hard at something where you can control your future, control your destiny, and then you can branch out into the things you thought you missed. Like for example, car racing isn't a business, but it's a great hobby. Mm-hmm. So. I still got my Richard Petty on because I have some cars and later on in life, I invested in them and I get to race them around a track and that's sure. a lot of fun. So I, I think, and, and this is, um, sometimes I get these weird looks from the East Coast liberals on, on this one when I say, sometimes it's not so important what you do for a living is what you do with what you do for a living. Hmm. Because you can always take you know, any industry, use it to your advantage, create a lot of wealth in it. And then, you know, branch out into the other things that maybe you really wanted to do in the beginning. You just have to have a little patience. Um, tangent, what kind of cars do you race? Um, I've got a, uh, a Shelby GT500 Super Snake. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got an AC uh, Shelby Cobra. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And a couple other things that aren't really racing, but uh, they're fun to drive. That's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, racing's a tough business. It's oh, a yeah. tough business. You need a lot of capital to do it properly. Just watch Drive to Survive, right? <laughs> Have you yeah. seen that Netflix spe- oh, yes. That special? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, coolest um, show ever. It was the coolest show ever. And what made it even cooler was I've, I've got to, to visit two F1 tracks this year. I got to see Miami. Okay. And I was watching that show as I flew to Miami. Oh, wow. And the Miami episode. And so it was so cool being there. It's like, wait a minute. Like, this I just, just saw that. This yeah. just happened here. This is cool. This is the place. There's Max. There's Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> Carlos and then, Sanz. Um, uh, and then we just went to, uh, I just went to Circuit of the Americas this past week. And I, I totally unexpected. I, I didn't set it up or anything like that. Just coincidentally, this company, Lone Star Paving, that was doing some work out there said, hey, come on out. We're, wow. we're milling tomorrow. 
and they were milling on the track. I saw that. That's right. what were they? They were eliminating hydrostatic bumps. Is that what they were doing? So, so the the ground in Texas is just trash. Yeah, the, the material. Uh, I I think it's. I'm I, somewhat I, clayish, right? Yeah, I didn't pay attention in, in geotechnical engineering, but I think there's a high plasticity index with okay. the soil. So yeah. it, it 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 changes quite a bit, even if you condition it. So they'll they'll moisture condition it, they'll work water into it to basically when you have dry soil to to explain, you 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 probably know this, but you work water into it so it expands. Right. So it doesn't expand after you build something on top of Correct. it. Correct. Because when something expands yeah. below something that you just built, yeah. like concrete. Correct city. It, yeah. it makes <laughs> big problems. Right. So they'll work water into it. They'll lime stabilize. They'll they'll put aggregate. They'll, they'll do all kinds of wacky stuff. So the cross sections on the racetrack are, are wild, uh, how much they built this thing up so that it didn't move below the track, but it still moves yeah, just just a little bit, right? Which doesn't matter unless you're going 200 Main miles an Street. hour. <laughs> but if you're doing 200 <laughs> miles an hour, or you're on a MotoGP bike, yeah, you're gonna feel it, right? And so they had these just slight, slight elevations on just a few areas. So they went in and they they milled a quarter inch off of just a few specific areas, and they did it by feel, quarter inch, a quarter inch, uh, because. The, the problem is if, if they can't get it by milling, they have to repave, but you can't just, you know, cut out a section of right. track and repave it. Yeah. You, you, you can't have joints in, I feel like it's turning, breaking or, right. or breaking air zones. Yeah. I think is how that they makes explain sense. it. Yeah. And so you'd have to, you know, redo an entire section of track. And then the asphalt, you don't just go to the local plant and sure. say, yeah, I'll take your you know, local mix. Yeah. It's specialty aggregate that you're getting trucked in, specialty binder. So it's a whole fiasco. So it's much simpler, if you can, to just grind it off um, and then coat the surface so the rocks don't come up and are cause you, any problems. Are you going, um, I, uh, I just uh, set up a trip the other day where some buddies of mine, we're going to go to Vegas and see the F1 this year. So. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that would be so cool. I'm I'm really hoping that because they we got we were we were able to get pit passes and everything, so I'm hoping to see the guys and everything. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I would love to. I'm I'm we're, so my next project is to get onto the repaving for that one. Yeah, because I was just out there. They were building the paddock. They're 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 going all in on this thing. Yeah, I I don't know where the hell the money's come from, but they're putting in probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. for this one four day event. <laughs> right. And so they're building a purpose-built paddock, which I would have thought they would have gone temporary for the first year at least, sure, like yeah. they did Miami. But they're like, before you know if it works or not. Yeah, yeah but it's Vegas, so let's go all in. Yeah. Um, but then the strip, the asphalt, the pavement's just a mess. So they're going to have tons of work to get this thing up to. I saw some of their track, not finished, but some of the layout of where it will be. I was up on the top floor of, um, I don't know if it was at Bellagio or whatever it was, but you could look out and the guy showed me some of the turns they were going to have. And it's yeah. just, not only are they turns, but they're elevation change turns. Sure. I mean, it's, it's crazy what's going to happen. There. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll be awesome. Yeah. So hopefully if all goes well, I'll have visited construction projects at all three F1 tracks in the United States. This nice. Year. Fingers crossed. Now I need to go do Bahrain and uh, uh, <laughs> write some of those other ones, right? Oh yeah. Well, the, the last time we were in the Middle East, they were building, we saw a road getting built down to where they're building a Formula One track. I don't know wow. why, but I just, here I am brushing shoulders with all these Formula One tracks well, all of a and, sudden. And you think 
it's hard to get into your business with with you know revenue and cash or whatever imagine needing a billion just to put your name on the map I mean, those guys go through a hundred million dollars or more every year. It's it, yeah, some yeah, some <laughs> of them are spending like half a billion dollars a year, yeah. just to compete in the sport, right? Um, and then they and now you know why they celebrate when they're fifth, <laughs> sure, <laughs> and yeah. not first or second, yeah, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. tenth. Yeah, they, they want to celebrate when they're fifth. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, anyway, tangent. How did you start out originally? So interesting. My my high school shared a fence with an industrial park. And my buddies and I would cut through a well-worn hole in this fence um, to go through that industrial park and hang out at the carryout after school when I was younger. Nice. And every time I walked through this carryout or through this industrial park on my way there, I could see these businesses that were just hustling and bustling, people milling about. You know, there were dump trucks and there were backhoes and, you know, jackhammers and material handlers and all these kinds of things. So I thought, well, you know, I need my first good used car. You know, I want to take my girlfriend out for pizza, go bowling <laughs> with my buddies or whatever. So I went to this place where I knew someone that had worked there. My brother had worked there and I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're, you know, we're ditch diggers. We, we fix old, wet, smelly basements and we dig a lot of ditches to do that, you know, moving water away. And um, I said, so I can do that. So I went in and um, I dug ditches in the summertime and in the wintertime when I was in high school still, I'd work in the front office. Well, this is in the Midwest. Yeah. In, in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So the good news there was I got to see both sides of the house, as they say, front and back. And um, when it came time to go to college, it was, you know, I'm 18 and uh, the, the, uh, the people in the office said, you know, we're going to start franchising this thing. We're looking for people to go help us open franchises. So I could either go to college or I could go do that. So I thought to myself, hmm, I get to open four or five businesses on other people's dimes, figure out how they work, mm-hmm. figure out how to open them from scratch. That's probably better college than college for me. So I did that. I moved around the Midwest, lived out of a suitcase for a while and, um, and opened these companies. And, um, you know, you get tired of living out of, you know, again, out of traveling so much. And I was like, I just got married and I wanted to start a family. So we moved to Toledo, Ohio. We opened the, it was the only uh, territory remaining in Ohio. And so we opened up there and now we have one in there and in Finley, Ohio as well, a couple offices. So we started with six people. We had nearly 200 today. So it's been a hell of a ride. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, so you've been in this business since you were a kid. Yeah. And, and again, that's the thing, you know, the whole reason that this book came about was because of the coaching I had done, but I don't have any letters after my name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any formal training. I'm, I'm certainly not a psychologist. People probably think I'm more psychotic than a psychologist, but um, we have a lot of fun. And and for me, it was all about, okay, I need to surround myself with a lot of people that think they can make it here Mm -hmm. because I can't do this all by myself. It's a lot. And um, I could do the old, you know, the ego 70 hour a week thing, but I didn't want to do that. So. Yeah. um, It's it's similar with where I've ended up. I, I'm glad I ended up where I'm at, where I'm, I, I work in a business where I'm not very good at most of the things we do, if not everything we do. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I'm really not the best person at, at just right. about every single thing we do and, and every billable thing we do. And so I have had no choice but to lean on other people. And I've seen a lot of people struggle with that later on in life. And I'm glad I kind of figured that out early on. Yeah. And there's still plenty of insecurity along with that. I don't know if it ever goes away, um, but I'm so glad I have to rely on other people. 
because if it was all just me, it would just still be me. Yeah, I think, I think as far as the insecurity goes, yeah, you know, I'm sitting in this chair right now, like I'm sitting in my office, okay? And I look behind me and there's nobody back there mm-hmm. to say, hey, Ken, do this or hey, do it yeah, that way or yeah. maybe. So I thought, well, let's involve a lot more brain power than my own. Let's create a bunch of what I, like I said earlier, entrepreneurial thinking around the office. And I get some pushback from people because I can't afford to do that. You know, I can't afford to share the, this and that. And I, I always come back with, well, yeah, in your current state, maybe you can't afford to do some of those things. But sure. if, 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 I'm, if my revenue is at a level of X and I want to take it to Z, the only way I'm going to do that is with the help of other people. So get them together, get them around you and say, okay, well, we're at X. I want to go to Z. So that's an increase of X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And if we get there, I will share a certain portion of that newfound money with all of you. And guess what? You have the power and the control to see whether or not you make that or not. And it's, it's such an easy thing. I mean, how easy is it to share money you don't even have yet? Okay. You're not relying upon right now. Sure. It's today's dollars. So we do that and, and the companies just take off because- Again, you get a group of people around you that are like, you mean, I'm in control of my own future, my own financial future. So as a group, we can get together and have meetings, whether you're here or not, and talk about how to get that, get to that place. Absolutely. And um, they're like, okay, get the hell out of our way then. Thanks for the training. Now let's just, let's just go do this. Mm-hmm. And that is the very first step to creating a much bigger company, a much bigger revenue base. And, and, and again, when you find that new money, it's easy to share with, with, with people. And, and we do it in a lot of cool different ways. Like we'll have, we'll have a, a monthly kind of thing where your specific job gets you paid a specific bonus if you do X. Then we have a quarterly thing for quarterly profits. And then we have an annual thing if we hit our annual targets. And then, so there's three ways you can earn that way. But there's also the big party at the end of the year. And that's usually in some place like, you know, Cabo or Cancun or whatever, where we start to just shell all this out and have this great, great time. Mm -hmm. And what's really funny about that is so many times I've gotten to the pool. I go up, I go to breakfast, work out, then I go to the pool and there's a group of people that work in our office sitting there and they're already talking about how we improve and go into next year. I didn't prompt that conversation. They did it on their own. So this is, this is why I think people, they, they take the book and they use it as a book club for their employees because they, they, they say to themselves, okay, I guess I need to let go of this a little bit. I need to let go of the ego that comes around owner, boss, and all those words. Mm-hmm. If I want to get anywhere, I need to like step back so I can go way forward. And that's the, that's the magic bullet for me. Does it get easier or is it always difficult? Do you always have to be intentional about that? No, because once the results happen, I mean, I, I have goals myself, don't forget. You know, I'm anticipating one, three, five, ten-year things myself as I, as I make, you know, I say make, but I really want everyone else to get involved in doing that around the office. So when everybody's doing that together, you know, when this gal's going to Europe to visit her cousin and this gal's, you know, taking Spanish and this, this gal is paying off a visa card and this person's getting the money for the down payment of their house or that one's upgrading their car and all that's out on the wall. I mean, we have this stuff everywhere on the wall so people can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, dates, times, completion dates, the whole thing. It gets, it gets easier because now there's this momentum that everybody is kind of driving this place, not just you. So I think, I think once you put the formula into place and you get the right people, the people that are there 
for themselves first and you second, like I said before, it actually gets, it actually gets easier and it gets a hell of a lot more fun. Sure. We're, um, we're squarely in the in-between right now. We're like, we're just right in no man's land. Yeah. Cause we've, uh, the train's definitely left the station. We're not, we're not going back. Like yeah. we're, we're on, it's going, <laughs> yeah. there's no way off this thing. They're shoveling coal in that thing. That's it. <laughs> but we haven't exactly, I mean, we, we have seen a lot of benefit, but we're still running on investment dollars right now. And when you're running on investment dollars, you, know, you still have to be really careful sure. oh, yeah. of where you allocate capital and, yeah. and you're, it's tight. It's really sure, tight. Sure. And as you grow, you know, growth requires more and more money. Yeah. And so it's this, uh, it's this balance of having to, to really paint the vision like, hey, where we're going is pretty special. But also you kind of have to trust me because I can't yeah. exactly point to, you know, see, uh, it's still largely anecdotal. And there, again, there is some evidence. It's like this office, for example, or sure. the, the, the growth in our team or the product we created out of nowhere right. over a one-year period with now 250 customers or whatever it is. There's, there, all of that's great, but it's for every individual still, ultimately, is but, this best for me? Sure. It's a choice. It's a trust it's, decision. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think we're making good progress there, but it's still just a little, a little unnerving. If, if you remember the movie about Facebook, mm-hmm. do you remember how they had that big counter up on the wall? Yes. And they kept counting their customers and you know everyone was kind of looking up and seeing that. And in the beginning, that counter was a very small thing. And then it turned into this you know 120-inch television screen. Sure. I, I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, merit to that. I think, I think if people as a group can see, because, you know, in, in so many jobs, like you work at it for a huge corporation and you don't know where you fit in. You know that you make this widget or this part of this thing, but you don't really know how you affect the overall. Okay. Yeah. Getting as many people as you can in touch with exactly how they affect the overall is the thing. And I think, I think um, if you're at a certain level, and you want to take it to that other level, you just got to be really open and honest and transparent with people and say, this is how we're going to do it. And this is the results. And you're going to be able to watch how we grow. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we're going to hit that promised land place. So, I mean, you're going to get there, right? Well, and we were really good at it when we were like 20 people. And then we went to what happened last year. Now we're about 75 with probably another 50 part-time. Yeah. And the system we created for the 20 doesn't shockingly doesn't work as well at our current level. Yeah. And so I'm having to redefine some things right now to make it really clear. And the goal ultimately is so that every individual at the business knows how they're contributing yeah. to the big picture. Right. And um, I think that link, that's something I talk about when I go talk to people for whatever reason, I, I speak to people now. And I, 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 I talk about purpose we have an amazing, and I think that's where we can really compete as an industry on purpose. Sure. If I'm putting things in boxes at Amazon, there's no real purpose. Yeah. And, and I, I might be able to create some kind of purpose out of that, but yeah. I'm a number, I'm a cog, and yeah. I'm probably going to re- be replaced pretty soon by a machine that does it way faster than I ever could. Yeah. Um, but I, the, the, the example I use is uh, I'm on a paving crew, for example. A lot of construction companies, they say, you know, we build strong infrastructure safely, efficiently on time. But to me, as a guy on a paving crew, that means nothing. That, that doesn't do 
anything at all right. to connect my, uh, my hard work today. I'm busting my ass. It's 95 and humid. Right. The asphalt's really damn hot. Yeah. I'm raking all day. How does that contribute? But if I make it a point to start articulating the purpose and say, we're paving a new road into a 123 lot subdivision, this isn't a new road. This is a way for 123 families to go to and from their new homes every day. Right. That's big time. You know, you go home every day. How do you get there? You get there on a road. What's the feeling like going through that door, seeing your kids, seeing your spouse, whatever it is, coming home, you're enabling that for this whole new community. Well, now me as this young, young guy on a paving crew raking all day, it doesn't make the work easier. It's still hard work, but now I can actually, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to add something to that when it comes back to anticipation. Um, well, I think most people don't realize, and I've been on, since the book was released, I've been on probably 170 podcasts. Okay. And whenever I throw this out there, people look at me like I'm from Mars. But by the time you put your feet on the floor, getting out of bed in the morning, to the time you get to your office or school or church or whatever, you've crossed thousands of blue collar jobs that are still viable today. Mm -hmm. And in fact, more valuable than ever and more financially rewarding than ever. Right. So, I mean, you know, you just kind of have to think about that. Now to the guy on the, on the crew raking the asphalt, imagine if he had the purpose, you know, I get to see years from now, a bunch of families riding their bikes and playing Frisbee and, you know, walking their dogs and whatever in an area that I created. That stands the test of time. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I built Summerfield Street. Sure. That's cool. If I'm winning in my personal life along the way, yeah. that's the missing link. Yeah. So if I'm raking that, that, that asphalt going, okay, I am now 17 weeks away from paying off my car. And I'm also um, fully funding my 401k, which at 60 bucks a week for 10 years savings is going to get me a million two in my account when I'm 65. Now I've got something to go along with that big vision mm-hmm. because some people, I don't even think they're going to buy into the family vision. Sure. I, I hope they would Yes, because it's a purpose. But if you're winning along the way for yourself, then you feel like everybody's winning. Not only are those folks getting into a new house or those folks playing Frisbee, riding bikes with their kids that they bought, they had to buy those things. I'm winning right along with those people. And I think that's the the tan that we needed to establish. Well, and I I skipped the point I make when I do talk. I kind of skipped to the the end. But the first step is making sure a company is meeting your people's basic needs. Yeah. And basic needs are income, are benefits, and flexibility I'm putting as a basic need. Absolutely. Sure. And and so so today it is, yeah. To before like purpose is, is way up here. So first you have to do basic needs, then then trust and belonging, then growth, recognition, and then it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And <laughs> then and then purpose, full potential. But yeah, if, if you're missing income, okay, yeah, they're gonna leave for a dollar more. I, I don't blame them. I, if, if they're going to go make the same amount of money sitting in an air-conditioned warehouse, then raking asphalt all summer, and they don't like, or, or maybe $2 more, yeah, I would probably go to the warehouse too. Sure. Like, instead of blaming them or saying they're lazy, I'm like, yeah, I probably can relate there. And me as a business owner, if that were to happen, I, again, I, I'm, uh, I talk out of my ass 99% of the time. But me as a business owner, I'd be saying, okay, 
they need more money. They're leaving for money. Right. So that's my problem. Yeah. So I, I need to figure out how to be more profitable, like you said. And if I'm more profitable, I have more money to give away. I don't even need it right now. Yeah. And then now I'm paying them far more. We're more productive. We're more efficient. And then you're even more profitable. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. I, I, and that's, again, there's, you know, let's layer in some culture in there too, because, you know, so many times when people go into your foyer and they're filling out the application and, you know, the first hour is all, it's like social media. It's the best everyone's ever going to be. Okay. You only see the pretty people on social media. You don't ever see them having a bad day. Right. So I think that, I think the book has to match the cover. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're going to lose people in 72 hours if what they heard doesn't match what they're feeling, seeing, touching, smelling, whatever, experiencing, sure. right? Yeah. And so that's why I think, you know, things like recognizing people for everything they do, recognizing them for their children or for their, for their anniversary of work or, or for the, the accomplishments that they're making, um, putting that up in, in big, beautiful color and electronic like you've got here. You know, we've got, we've got big screen TVs all over our office and they do nothing but pump out this guy did this great thing and this gal did this great thing and this is her fifth anniversary and her son turned six today and you know whatever all that kind of stuff adds to you know the color the sounds the sights the smells the the feeling that you get when you walk into an office and and I, I think I, I think culture is layered in between you know the basic needs can they win here can I win here at your place okay I can win for me I can go home and tell my wife yeah I can win at this place within that organization. And it's just cool to work there. And oh, by the way, we're going somewhere and we do have a purpose. Our purpose in fixing um, wet, smelly basements, what would our purpose possibly be? Oh, we're making healthy living environments for people to grow up in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. So that's all part of it. It's it's like this all encompassing piece. And I think as owners, managers or whatever, we got to get really busy delving into all four or five of those things because that's what's going to make it work. I think going to the the office note, a lot of companies need to consider what is the feeling I want someone to have when they walk through my doors. I see, I go into a lot of offices. Very rarely do I have a feeling that's like, ah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, Isn't that shame? <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it really bums me out because it doesn't require any additional capital to, cr- I see the money they're spending on these beautiful offices. I'm like, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But I'm yeah. still like, I'm still missing the feeling. I, I, I want to walk in and understand, oh, so this is what you're about. Like, I, I shouldn't have to, you could, prob- you could walk through this office and you could understand our business, not exactly what we do and how we make money, but you could understand the feel of our business pretty damn quick. Absolutely. I wouldn't have to say a word. No. And, and to me as a new person, if I walk in, to that business and I get that feeling, I want to be a part of it. That like, to me, that's very attractive from a hiring standpoint. But if I get in, it just feels cold or like, like banks are the perfect example. Absolutely. You, you yeah. walk into a bank and you look at the people's desks and there's nothing on the desk. Yeah. There's like a, like a Wells Fargo calendar. <laughs> like that's and, the personal oh, item pens. they have. They have and four some pens. pens. <laughs> yeah. And they might have a cool like gel pen. That's their <laughs> That's how, that's how they've customized their workplace that they spend 40 yeah. plus hours a week at. And to me, it's like, I, I would never want to work in a place like that. That's just, it's, it's inhuman. 
And, and how could you possibly answer the question, well, you know, what's in it for me to work in this place when you have that type of milk toast or sterile type of welcoming environment? It's, it, it just blows my mind. You know, even in the interview process, you'll hear people say, well, you know, uh, this is what you're going to do and this is what you have to wear and this is when you're going to report to work. And I mean, it's just all this mechanical stuff, right? Why not say, hey, um, why are you here? Well, because I, 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 you know, I, need a, I need a job, obviously. Oh, yeah, I get that part, but a job for what? Well, I need to earn some money. Okay, money, money for what? I've got some bills to pay in my car, my rent, whatever. Okay, and, and when those are done, then what? Like when you're through paying off your car, you knock that visa down or whatever, then what? When is it your turn to live? And when you get to that question, they look at you like you, you just invented penicillin. I mean, they're looking at like, no one's ever asked me that question before. Mm-hmm. No one has really ever gone that deep before. And that's, what's, that's what drives me crazy because it's so easy to do. I mean, it's, it take, costs you nothing to ask that question, but look at what you're going to get. The next answer you're going to get is going to be something you're never going to expect because everyone, everyone's completely different, right? Yeah. So I, I, I don't get why you can't, cover simple things like for example most people don't know or they haven't learned in high school for sure that when you do a 401k you're saving a buck pre-tax company's giving you a quarter so every friday you're saving a buck and a quarter times however many dollars you choose to do that Mm -hmm. try to save money in a savings account by yourself you're getting 75 cents out of that dollar right so Think about it. Every Friday, you're missing 50 cents. Uh, you know, guy A is 75 cents. Gal B is a buck and a quarter. You're losing 50 cents every single Friday on your, on your attempted savings plan. Did you ever hear that in high school? Sure. I never heard that in high school. No. I mean, no. we're teaching people to be, in de- to be dependent on social systems. And, you know, don't get me started on all the other things that they're teaching kids now, but why aren't we teaching people to not depend on those social systems to begin with and how easy it is to not do that? I mean, yeah. you know, if, if, if I tell you that I'm going to pay you 50 grand a year, I want you to look back at me and say, thank you for paying me $47,000 a year because that first 3000 is going right into the 401k, 60 bucks a week. I never had it. I never saw it. I never spent it. I can't miss it. Mm-hmm. I'm living on that 47. I know you're paying me 50, but that's going in pre-tax. And in 10 years, I can stop saving when I'm 32 years old and just quit and forget about it. And I'm going to have over a million bucks in my 401k when I retire. Sure. Why are we not telling people these things? It's just so easy. Well, the, the whole system works against us because the more dependent people are on the system, the better the system does. Yeah. If I depend on financial advisors, managing your finances is pretty damn simple. It is. But there's this, well, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know what to do with my money. So I need to give it to this guy who, who wins regardless if I win. Right. But that's how the system designed or, yeah. or the medical system. The right. medical system doesn't make a lot of money on me. I'm healthy. I don't go. I don't, I don't, I don't have prescriptions. I don't have anything. Sure. Yeah. That, but that, 
but we just built all these new hospital beds. We got to fill the damn hospital beds. You're right. And, and, and it, it just goes down the line. You look at the government. You know, if, if I'm not living on Social Security, if I'm not living on these government programs, then the government coming to say, we're here to save you, it doesn't matter to me. Screw you. I'm good. I don't need your help, man. Um, and, and I think even teaching people how to manage their finances, which is what we're we already have a program on uh, Build It Training, and we're trying to get with Dave Ramsey. And there, there's all kinds of cool stuff we're working on with sure. Build It Training to allow people, even if your company doesn't teach you this specifically, to learn about how to manage your finances more effectively. Right. But I hear all the time people saying, well, uh, you know, we paid them a ton of money this summer. And then they come to us in winter and they're broke and they're asking for hours. But they knew winter was coming. Yeah. It's, their, it's their fault. Yeah. They're the idiots. And I, I, I sit around, I'm like, well, no one's taught them how to manage money. Sure. You think their parents taught them? No. No. Don't be kidding. No, everyone, you know, you think the school system taught them? Like, so w- were they just supposed to figure it out on their own? Like yeah. the bank? Do you think they want? No. Yeah. No, the bank wants them on their credit card. Absolutely. Like everybody's pushing them in this direction of dependency. We haven't taught them any kind of skills in the other, other way. And then we're surprised. When they're asking for more money in the winter, you know, it, 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 I talk about this in, in blue collar cash when I talk about, uh, I, I give some basic savings advice, but I try to do it with some simple terms. Okay. So let's assume that you're going to rent, um, I don't know, you're going to rent a compressor and the compressor is going to cost you X amount of dollars per day to rent that compressor and you need it for one day. Mm-hmm. So you're paying a hundred bucks a day for this compressor. And you're done with the compressor. Are you going to let that compressor just sit in your parking lot for another couple of weeks before you return it? Well, no, Ken, I wouldn't do that. Well, why not? Well, because it costs me $100 a day every time I keep that compressor. Well, isn't that exactly what renting money on a credit card is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The longer you leave that money to sit around, the more you're paying for it. So, you know, I know you have to do things like build credit reports and do that kind of stuff. We all have that report card that follows us around the rest of our life. But you know, it's it's a simple thing. Take your credit card, go to the store, spend a hundred bucks, take the money out of your pocket, walk upstairs, pay the bill off. You've just done the transactional thing. You've created the credit, but you're not creating the debt. And um, so, I mean, you know, what do we do with the, what do we do with these kids? We're not we're not teaching them simple life survival skills. We're not teaching them simple things. So that's why I said, I mean, I got to start coaching these kids. I. I First drive, you know, cleaning up your driver's license, getting your first car, your first apartment, your first house, or whatever, establishing checking accounts and all that kind of stuff. I had to get involved in it because I needed to help to create a future for them where they felt okay. Um, I can do this. I'm in control. I I had to fill in where the where the parents failed. I had to fill in where the schools failed, and. Um, you know, you can't discount the fact that you might have to say something to someone that seems obvious to you. But it's not obvious to them. Sure. And I, I, I think that's, a, that's like one of the core disconnects with a lot of just the recruiting strategy and everything like that for the blue collar industries. Uh, we're, we're approaching it from the previous generation's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It might be obvious to you, but that, that's not actually how the world works. Yeah. That's not actually cool to the next generation. You're not the target audience here. Yeah. They're testing the fire alarm today. Okay. And so I think that's what's happening right now. Okay. So that's I'm going to cool. take this opportunity to go to the bathroom real quick. All right, let's do it. And it shouldn't be long. <laughs>
uh, I don't know where we were, but the book. When did you publish it? Uh, it was published during COVID and republished uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Did you write during COVID or was it was in the works? Before? No, no. I, I um, It's funny because I never woke up one day and said, I'm going to be an author. I just, um, actually what happened was my daughter got really sick. Like, I think that makes a good book. It, yeah. But <laughs> well, thank anyway, you. Yeah. My, my daughter got really sick, like scary sick. And, and um, her mom and I were spending a lot of time in hospital rooms and, you know, doctor's offices and x-ray places and all that. And it gives you a lot of time to, to think. And I was very fortunate that I was able to get away and spend this time with her that I needed to. And she's, she's fine now. But, you know, as a parent, it scares the hell out of her when you get some, that kind of diagnosis. But anyways, I just was thinking, like, what's, what should, what's important? Like, what should I be telling her that we should all be chasing? If we're going to chase something in life, what is it? Is it it's not the almighty dollar, but, but what is it? And um, these words, comfort, peace, and freedom, just kept coming back to me, and I couldn't get rid of them. I mean, I just, I was, I saw them everywhere. I, I just couldn't get them out of my head. So that was kind of like the basis for the book, which me, which is, you know, we all have our own vision or version of what our best envisioned life could be, our own personal nirvana. Like, if I could live like that, that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it doesn't always mean. Aaron, that we're going to have, you know, 15 cars and McMansions and mega yachts and all that other stuff. I mean, that's cool if you want to do that. But I think we all have a place where we could say, man, if I could have that type of life and, and draw that out in as clear, colorful, vivid detail as you possibly can, that would be a target that I, I'd love to live to like that. That'd be really cool. So I just started talking about my stories growing up and then other friends of mine who were blue collar entrepreneurs who, um, went through horrible setbacks and or on their on their path to becoming very successful people in the construction industry and um you know I combined all that with the coaching I had done and it you know blue collar cash just kind of showed itself and I started writing it and um again you know the worst time you could ever release a book is during a pandemic when no one's working and everyone's wondering what the what the earth is going to do tomorrow so they kind of re-released it a year and some later, and it became a, a bestseller last fall. So I was uh, really, really jacked. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very blessed. I didn't think the book would go ten feet, much less the ten miles that it's gone. And sure. it's, uh, it's been a pretty cool experience. Who's, who's the target audience? Is it, is it for blue collar individuals, or is yeah, there's, there's actually three. Um, obviously, if you're 15, 16, 17, 18, and all you hear is I have to go to college, I have to go to college, you know, everyone's telling me I have to go, but I want to run a nailer. <laughs> I want to build things, you know, or I want to, I'm going to move dirt. I want to do things, you know, and I'm going to be, um, outside. Um, that's, that's someone that can read this book and say to themselves, okay, let's figure out what I want my nirvana to look like, my comfort, peace, and freedom. Let's figure that out first. And then I can pick one of the many paths that can get me there. College mm-hmm. being one of them. Mm-hmm. So th- the second reader is someone who already did that. Maybe they went to school spent the money. They're not using their degree. They're in some sales job. They hate it. But, you know, one particular guy said, I, I worked my way through college as a plumber assistant and, and I loved it. So he goes, I'm doing this medical sales and I can't stand it. He left his job and went back to being a plumber. He's never been happier. And he wants to blame me for that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know I, I just gave you a little messaging. That's all I did. Sure. The most surprising one was, um, a company that is in the construction industry and they're trying to grow and they're trying to create these awesome people around them. So they buy the book and they use it as like a book club where 
you know, they'll give it to their their people and they'll each read like a chapter a week or whatever. And then they'll once a month they'll get together and talk about it and and um and really say to themselves, let's focus ourselves as a team. Let's all win when we do that and let's see how far we can take this thing. Interesting. Okay. The the pathway to college is interesting because uh I think people have lost sight of the purpose, the true purpose of college. And I think the true purpose of college has been just so skewed by the business of college. Yeah. It's, it's a business now. Oh, for sure. First. It's a business first. Yeah. It's a business first. Yeah. And so it, it and, and uh, great, you know, make, make money as a, as a school. I get you have bills to pay in these facilities and this and that. But at the same time, you also have to provide a, a great product. I think people, they go to school because it's, it's just the thing to do. They don't think about what is this really going to create for me other than just right. potential success. Like, that's all we need to tell you. It's just, right. you're going to be successful. Yeah. And then they get out of school. And, and I think a lot of people found that it's like, that wasn't totally true, which is why college admissions have declined for the first time ever in yeah. the United States over the past few years. Because I think we, when is the pandemic? And the colleges said, well, here's a far worse product, but pay us pay us the same, the same amount, way. if not more for it. Right. And you could stay home and not even use our product. And everybody was like, what? Yeah. Are you, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. the wool is firmly over my eyes. For sure. Um, I think the cat was out of the bag on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they overplayed their hand a little bit yeah. and, and showed where they're truly coming from. And I think school is great if it's going to help you get to where you want to be. If it's if it's a tool to get you further down the path, or or even just a a place for you to just openly explore, I think it's funny people go to college and they get uh, demonized for not being on a a path that's proven to be lucrative. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think I could argue that's kind of the main purpose of college for a lot of people is to just give yourself four years to explore. Go get a communications degree. Go get a marketing degree. Go get a degree, but explore along the way and use it as a tool and, and use it as four years free from the burden of society to yeah. just play around a little bit. Yeah. But then at when it comes when it comes to an end, you know, what did I learn? What direction am I going to go in? Yeah. I think a lot of people just go through the motions though, and it doesn't get them very far. Well, if if you think about the the question of college, there's never really a, a, a conversation, especially from people who lend money for college, what's the ROI going to be? Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, for example, you know, I'm not anti-college, okay? So if if you're going to operate on my shoulders so I can get back out on the golf course, then I need you to know everything there is to know about a knife before you come at me with it. I get that. You know, engineer, architect, teacher, banking, whatever. I understand you need to learn that, but that is a job-specific degree that you're going to a job-specific degree school for, so you get that job-specific when you're done. Yep. So there's a path, and I understand that. At the same time, I also understand your point where if you want to go get a general business degree, then you can kind of like feel your way through. Maybe you get a marketing degree or a communications degree. And what's funny about that is when you ask somebody, you know, I'm going for um, uh, to going to med school to become a doctor. You hear to become a doctor, but you hear when someone says, "I'm going to marketing school," you never hear the "to become a" part of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That sentence. So, I, I think when people, you know, you you have to think about, in, at least in, in this day and age, 
Colleges have done so much to market themselves. They've done so much to shame schools and parents for not producing college prep kids. My high school changed from a high school to a college prep school. It didn't do anything different, but now all of a sudden it's a college prep school. What does that even mean, right? Sure, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, you, you also have to keep a really close eye on supply and demand. And if we're now overproducing those bland business degrees to the point where that $75,000 expectation is now 50, which is currently happening because we're oversupplying the, I mean, it's simple. If there's too much, too many apples, apples drop in price. I mean, it's just that simple. And that's, I, I think where we're at right now, because, you know, if your college has a gigantic endowment, like billions of dollars, and they can't explain to you what they're using that for. Yeah. Which is every endowment. Problem number one. Yeah. If your college is buying up every city block and building its fifth ice rink, problem number two, okay? Um, I'm not against ice rinks, but I mean, is there, a, is there a real purpose? I mean, these things are monoliths. They're growing like, like shopping malls now. It's, it's, it's crazy. So all I'm saying is you at least need to think about what you're doing because if you're not careful, you know, $50,000 a year all in for college travel, everything, books, intuition, the whole thing. Times four is $200,000. Hopefully you didn't borrow all that money. Mm-hmm. You can go right now. I heard the other day, I just read a thing that the average college or average construction job is paying 30 bucks an hour now. Okay. Mm. That's 50 to 75,000 on the plus side of your asset base. After four years, that's 200 plus. That's a $400,000 swing between the time you're 18 and 22. Sure. That's a lot of things. That's a fully funded 401k. That's a house. That's a car. That, that's a lot of things. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to school, but this, this haphazard decision-making, like, oh, I'm just going to school, I guess. I'm leaving high school. I'm just going to go to college. Why? I don't know. I'm just going. You at least need to think about that and look at supply and demand and use it in your favor because- what when supply is low and demand is high, you know that's where the money goes, right? And um, I say sometimes it's better off to be a contrarian thinker. If everybody's going that direction, if, you know, instead of following the herd, man, you might want to go that way or the opposite direction because what other people aren't willing to do usually sets you up for a really lucrative life. Well, and that and, and going to the all right, that's oversupply side, but the demand side. Any trade right now? The the problem we have that's starting to get some coverage, which is exciting, yeah, um, is only getting way worse. Of course, like you just it doesn't take. I am an idiot, and I can look at the math and be like, that doesn't add up, right? For sure, it doesn't add up. Yeah, um, it's only getting worse, and that's scary for the industry as it exists and as it has operated. Sure. But to any business owner that looks at that like an opportunity, it will be an opportunity, arguably the biggest we've seen in many decades. Absolutely. And then to me, as somebody starting my career out, I can't, there's very few other industries or other careers I can think of right now that has more opportunity than anything in the trades. Well, look at it this way. So I I regret to tell you that I was in high school in the 80s. Okay. So that's a while ago. So I could walk down the hallway and I could see someone changing a transmission on a Mustang. I could see someone milling a table, a leg for a table. 
I could see someone doing someone's hair. I could see someone cooking something. I could see somebody welding something, someone wiring an outlet. I could, I could accidentally discover how cool the trades are, right? Mm-hmm. And millions of kids did that. I mean, everybody thinks if you're a tradesman or a woman, your dad did it, so now you're doing it. That's, that's not true. I mean, they, they, they accidentally discovered how cool this was in high school. So geniuses said, let's take all the shop classes out of high school and let's fill those rooms with computers. Okay, I get it. I got to learn computers. I mean, we all have one on our hip, right? So, but why did it have to be one or the other? Why couldn't we have done both? Because now what you've done is you've taken millions of prospects off of the potential for filling these jobs. And then when I was younger, we played in the woods, we played in the creek, we built tree forts, we helped landscape around the house. We, you know, we did we hammer, nails, lumber. We did all that stuff. Yeah. Now kids are building cities on their cell phones. And you and I both know that is not the same experience. Okay. It, it just isn't. So you've got those two things working against the industry. And then this whole college shaming thing. I was at a party once and I, I heard there was a bunch of moms standing around. Well, my daughter's going to this school. My son's going to that school. Well, what about what's her name? What is his son going to do? Um, he's just going to be a plumber. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that plumber. He now has six vans, 12 employees, and he's just killing it. Okay. So, so who's the winner and loser there? So, but the point is, is you have college shaming people into that is the only path. That's like the perfect trifecta that's, that's really hurting our industry. And to your point, and this is, this is why some people say, well, it's just cyclical. This is not going away. No. It is only going to get worse and worse and worse. I predict, and I've said this already because it's happening now, finished carpenters, they're going to make more money than doctors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, good people that can, that can wire a whole house or, or, or business owners that can, that can do certain things um, that require working with these two hands. They're going to make more money than these professional people. You just watch. It's going to happen. Then doctors and lawyers than engineers yeah they're all going to make more money yeah. yeah and 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 going to supply and demand so you have you know labor dropping dramatically over the next decade because of what you just explained the college the 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 taking play out of childhood essentially yeah and it, there, there's those contributing factors um and then you look at the stuff we need to build well, even just current infrastructure spending, the infrastructure bill, it peaks in 2028 spending. Assuming we can meet the spending goals of the subsequent years, which we've already fallen behind. And find the people to do all that. Yeah. Exactly. So that that alone peaks. You drive around and look at the infrastructure. The replacement cycle is 50, 60, 70 years. Well, a lot of it's well past that. Sure. So we might not even sit here and say, well, we need the world's best infrastructure, we're still going to have to replace all of our existing infrastructure. Yeah. Okay, cool. You want a bunch of EVs. Fantastic. You need to go build all of the infrastructure Mm -hmm. for that. You can't just put millions of EVs on the existing power power grid. It doesn't work. It it mathematically doesn't, physically, it doesn't work. So now you have to go upgrade the entirety of the power grid. Yeah. Okay, cool. We want Shoot, we we uh, the tide went out during COVID, and we we got caught without our swim trunks on with manufacturing. <laughs> so let's bring manufacturing back to the United States. <laughs> well, what do you got to do when you bring back manufacturing? Got to build a lot of stuff. 
<laughs> so there, yeah. there are so many things contributing to building a lot of stuff. We just had the strangest reversal of trends in migration for a hundred years, rural Americans going to cities the past three years, the opposite, opposite just started to happen. And yeah. now areas that have never grown are now exploding. Yeah. Which, okay, cool. The economy goes down. There's still a shortage of housing in a yeah. place like Raleigh or Charlotte or Orlando sure. or, uh, or West. San yeah. Antonio, Denver. Uh, there's just, there's nonstop stuff that needs to happen. Or maybe we just don't grow at all. Yeah. Well, do people stop throwing their trash away? Do people stop going to the bathroom? Right. <laughs> do, do people not need anywhere to live anymore? Like Traffic lights still need to work. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. It never goes away. Well, and you know what? You know what's crazy? And I, sometimes I think that maybe I just am not seeing it. But so you have these states that want to lead the country in having EVs. Okay, fine. And then when they get their EVs, then they tell them you can't plug your cars in because we're having too much draw on our electricity right now. So, I mean, who's who's running the, the asylum here? You know, you know? I mean, it 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 really does. And and I I think. I think that's one of the most unfortunate things that um, I, I, I have to tell my kids, my daughter and my son-in-law is, you know, government used to be really smart and they used to work together. I mean, you know, they used to, they had their differences in the way they did things, but they had the same things in mind and they came together and they did these things and they created good, effective, sound advice and results and, and that kind of thing. Today, it's just who can win and how can I make you lose? And it it's just, um, it's sad because they don't get to see something that makes common sense. Like all they see is no common sense. All they see is yeah. ass backwards. Like, yeah. well, wait a minute. If, if you're not ready to power all these electric cars, why are we building them so quickly? I mean, it's backwards, right? And maybe that's just their MO is like, we're just going to like march forward, you know, be damned with the results and just force the issue. But that still doesn't answer like, where are we going to get the all this stuff for the batteries and who's going to mine that? And then where are we going to throw the batteries away when we're done with them? And well, I mean, there's just a lot, there's a lot to the equation. And, and some, I think the government did used to serve the people in a lot of ways, but I think in a lot of other ways, it didn't make sense. Like you look to Vietnam, for example. Yeah. And you just sit there, you're like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. Or even Iraq. Like, yeah. like how did that happen? Yeah. It, 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 we've done a lot of the stuff that hasn't made sense. Sure. The government's problem now is the internet. Because now, like, especially the past few years, the mask kind of got pulled off the boogeyman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's really you guys? Yeah. Like, whoa. I thought, I thought the system was competent. It's not. And that's kind of scary, but again, a lot of opportunity. Yeah, that, that's and, and that's why I have such great hope. I, I talk, I tell my kids all the time. I said, you know, you guys are so pragmatic in the way you think. Um, you don't waste time. You don't waste money. Um, you 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 don't understand. You know, let's make six buildings full of thousands of people all do the same thing because we have the money to do it. And if we don't spend it this year, we're not going to get it next year. Mm -hmm. You're our, the younger generation. They don't, that doesn't make any sense at all to them. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful 
that all this backroom dealing and all the stuff that used to happen in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s is going to, like you said, the lights being shined on all that stuff. So you're not going to be able to get away with the things that you used to um, because all that stuff's in print, all that stuff's in, on the internet, and all that stuff can be found unearthed and exposed. And then, you know, look at what happens after that. I mean, they're holding people accountable for things they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Sure. So I think people are making better and, and, and new and different decisions. So I do have hope. For all the youth out there, I do have hope that you're gonna you're gonna help us fix this thing. Yeah, but and and like, what choice do we have? Right. <clears throat> I tell people too. It's uh, okay, cool. You know, we're we're uh, everybody's lazy. The young younger generation sucks. Okay. Like, say what? What if that's true? Let's just for the sake of argument, let's act like you're right. You're right. And then what? Right. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then what? Right. Like it, it's so easy to just blanket poke statement. a hole right in that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, so you're just going to give up. Right. Like just roll over and okay, you, you might be good to go, but like, what about your kids? Like yeah. if your kids can't have consistent drinking water, it doesn't matter what they do in their life. It doesn't matter how much your money you're leaving them. <laughs> They're still screwed, man. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's interesting, and I, I and I also think there's another there's another opportunity here, and and this is something that it's it's hard it's hard to to put into words. But so you always have these you always have these these um, areas of economics. Okay, you have this group of people, and you know they call them classes. Why they do that, I don't know. They have the lower class, middle class, upper class, whatever you want to call it. Well, it seems like the Upper class people and their kids, they always sent them to the universities and all the high end stuff. And that's, they perpetuated that. And that's fine, whatever. And then you had the middle class, but it seemed to me that the middle class used to be pretty evenly divided. When I was in high school, I lived in a middle class neighborhood. It was, it was great. And when the teacher said, raise your hand if you're going to college, only half of us did. And I thought, well, that seems pretty balanced, right? Sure. I mean, people are going to go into their family business or they're going to go work in a factory or they're going to go start their own business or whatever they're going to do, go, go work somewhere. And that seemed pretty balanced to me. Well, now, now you have a situation where all of the middle class is pressured to go to college. I mean, it's college or else. So doesn't that open up? Like if there's this huge black hole that you and I keep talking about, this huge hole of demand, right? This huge place where all these jobs need to be filled. Doesn't that open up just an awesome opportunity for some of those other kids to get involved in this? And mm -hmm. almost, and, and here's the beautiful thing, Aaron, they can literally economically leapfrog the middle class by doing so. Easily. How about it, right? Easily. I mean, I would love to have this conversation. The problem is it's hard to and put it into words that are, you know, contextually moral or ethically correct. Why couldn't you take those kids that, are you know some of them are perpetually in their situation and trying to get in, trying to get out of it they could literally leapfrog the middle class starting today yes and how cool would it be to watch that happen and it's it's cool you do have to have some smarts but a lot of it is hard work it is and yeah. so you're not going to be oh well you don't have this degree so you can only make it to level 4 right there's none of that baloney yes that's all baloney it's it's if you're willing to work for it it's there. I've yeah. seen so many people go from a, a few thousand dollars, if that, to eight, nine figure businesses, sometimes even beyond that. Yeah. In a generation, in 30 years. 
sometimes even shorter than that. Sure. It's crazy what's possible. I, I would love I would love to see the tale of, of two people where you have this one economically challenged person who gets into what you and I are talking about and they have their business now. Now they're making 90, 100, 120, they're hiring people. Now they're making 150, 200,000. And that's in five, six years. Mm-hmm. It, can, it can easily happen, even quicker than that. Yeah. And then you have that person in the middle class who was like, okay, well, I was told I had to go to school. So that's what I did. I now have 80,000 in debt and I have a job that pays me 50 and it's going to take me 20 years to pay all that off. How did that guy or girl jump over top of me when I wasn't looking? Yeah. And, and, and you know what? And good for it because stigmas are a self-fulfilling prophecy. Stigmas are things that um, you have to own before you can, I mean, you, you have to believe it or not, right? And um, when I see the opportunity out there, I just want to, I mean, I, I feel like I need to get on a bullhorn and just scream, scream it because it's out there. It's there for the taking. It's mm-hmm. never been better. It's not going away. It's only going to get better. Sure. And um, I, I just I just love to see people talking about it, make that happen. Well, and to the people that have the debt and are 10 years into their career, it, that doesn't mean if you're 10 years, you can't switch. <laughs> right. like it's not too late. Right. You're not screwed. You don't just have to be a bitter asshole the rest of your life because <laughs> you're in a career you hate. You're right. Like, you can you can stop anytime. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on down. We, we've got plenty of room for you. And you might have to take a few steps back. You might have to swallow your pride and ego a little bit, maybe check ego, but there's so much benefit beyond that if you can see just a little further down the road. And you're going to love it. You know, it's funny because have you ever seen somebody that was very well read and um, they have all these books on the shelf behind them and they're like trophies, right? These books are up on the shelf. I read all these books. You're describing me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get something out of your books, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, that's obvious. Some people, you ask them, well, what'd you get out of that book? I, I read it. I, I don't remember what's in it, but yeah, I read it. So, and so for me, I didn't want that to happen with blue collar cash. So I spent the last year and a half creating a course that it's only eight sessions. It's only 45 minutes a session. You could do it as fast or slow as you want. And I wanted to push what we, you and I were just talking about. I wanted you to say, okay, you got the book. You either read it or you listened to it. Now you're going to you're going to do this today. You're not going to wait, not someday. Someday never comes. You're going to take this course today and it's going to change the way you think about your future. And, um, you know, Aaron, my life was really good before I wrote this book. I didn't do it for money. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm here talking to you as if find a way to give back to people that are following in the path that I, I, I followed or of others. Sure. And, um, you know, I've seen these things, <laughs> Fifteen hundred, two, three thousand dollars. No, this is one hundred twenty-nine dollars for this course. You get a free book, and when you do that, you can give one away for free to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is just—it's just something that I felt, you know, it's incumbent upon people like us, like you and I, who have been successful, who have done these things, to now shorten the learning curve for others behind us to say, "Here's your path to entrepreneurship." I can cut that down in time and in frustration and in money by a lot. So um, I, I did that specifically for the people I was just talking about because anybody armed with a little bit of information can take advantage of this greatest opportunity in decades. And I hope they do. So where can they find that? Um, you can go to KenRusk.com and uh, you'll see everything that we're doing there. Um, 
all the socials are at Ken Rusk official. I have somebody that helps me do that because I'm a, I'm a, of the generation that didn't have that when we were younger. Sure, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, we try to do a lot of cool things on there and try to try to get people in, headed in the right direction. And uh, I, I really would like to see people shorten their learning curve, do things they don't think they can do, make choices for their own. You know, you and only you know what your favorite things in life are. You and only you know what you'd be passionate about and how you can control your day and make the things you want to happen for yourself. And um, I think it's time to start listening to yourself here. Sure. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're able to stop by. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is this was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, that's a podcast. That's a podcast.